0: Hello and welcome to a Saturday edition of Coffee House Shots. I'm Max Jeffrey and I'm joined by James Forsyth and Andrew Carter, chief executive of the Centre for Cities. Today we're going to be talking about one of the biggest items on the government's agenda, levelling up. James, you write in your Column for the Times today that it's the next Tory fault line. Can you tell us why?
1: So on Thursday you had the whole kind of cabinet went into Downing Street for kind of five, six hours of meetings on on levelling up. I mean that was an attempt by the government to kind of thrash out more of its agenda. I think one of the challenges is that this whole sleaze scandal, this whole debate about outside interests, has exposed a kind of divide in the Tory party between is what one Secretary of State puts it, between kind of red wallers and red quarters. And I think the challenge is, what, what does levelling up mean? I think some people think it means a much more interventionist industrial policy, an attempt to uh, use that to try and boost growth in the regions. Other cabinet ministers think that it's much more like a kind of minimum service guarantee, that the state's job is simply to provide, uh, make sure that everywhere has decent or good physical and digital infrastructure, something that isn't true in the UK right now, but that once the state has done that, that should be the end of it. I think one of the challenges is these the, the kind of red wall MPs who are you know unsympathetic generally to the idea of MPs having outside interests and lot tend to to cleave towards the former. And another problem is that, that by any kind of serious definition of leveling up not very much is going to be apparent by the next election especially if the next election is in 2023 but even if the next election is in 2024 and the danger then becomes that you you get a debate about you know do you throw money at problems to um to try and create a sense of momentum and i mean that will exacerbate all these tory disputes because uh, tory splits because if you do at that point, it's very hard to see, given the straightened state of the public finances, how the Tories can cut taxes before the next election. And that means they go into the next election as a tax-raising party.
0: Andrew, I've always thought of levelling up as quite a, an anodyne phrase. But from what James is saying, it can actually be a little controversial, at least on the Tory benches. What's the way to keep everyone happy here?
2: Yeah, so I think it's, the way to keep it happy is to avoid uh, the sense that levelling up equals zero sum. You know, in a sense that for some places to do better, other places need to do less well. And you can hear that a little bit. You know, some people say, you know, one of the ways we level up is, yes, we give more resources to the Midlands and the north. uh, But also one of the ways is that we take resources away from London. So we level down London and level up other places. That is not the way to do it. I mean, that will make all of us poorer um, in the short term and in, in the longer term. So I think it's about framing it as how do we help those places that are behind in some shape or form? How do we allow them to be better whilst not constraining those places that are already doing well? That's how we, I think we keep everybody happy. And I think that is possible. You know, there are ways that we can, uh, we can do that. We've seen that um, uh, certainly in, in, uh, in other countries.
1: I think that, I think that is right. If it see, I mean, and the whole you know Boris Johnson's desire to use the phrase "leveling up" was the idea that you know it didn't mean that you had to kind of cut London down to size. I mean, think there are some inevitable consequences. You know, for example, the government wants to ensure that research and development spending is spread more evenly around the country. Now, in some ways, that's relatively easy to do because the, the R and D budget is going up and going up considerably. So you wouldn't be taking money away. But you know, but if ministers want to fix the fact that in London for every pound spent by the private sector on r&d the government is spending a pound Whereas in the west midlands you know it requires the private sector to spend four pounds for every pound for to get a pound of government money spent on r&d that is going to reduce some of the concentration on london i mean that that you know i mean you can't get around that fact but broadly i think that it's easier to do that in something like r&d where the budget is going up so you won't be seeing cuts to the amount of money spent on r&d in london it just won't be going up as fast in london as it is in, in the Midlands, for example.
0: And when Boris Johnson first promised to level up the North, it, it seemed like it was a way to keep hold of Redwall seats. But a lot of these things, changing research budgets, for instance, and changing the makeup of our cities and our towns, is going to take years for them to filter through. Are there any, and the next election is going to be only a few years away. Is there, are there any quick fixes that the government's going to be looking for? Or, or are we not going to see any real substantial difference for a decade or so?
1: I think this is a problem. I think, realistically, I think that a lot of the stuff is going to take time. You know, for example, I think one of the big things that you could do to boost levelling up is to improve transport within city regions if you look at for example greater manchester you have some quite deprived places within the greater manchester city region if you could make it quicker to travel around manchester it would become more attractive to live in those places but i I think that one of the ironies is the government has actually been kind of in some ways offered a quick win and turned it down you know you could have argued that remote working offered the possibility of a quick win if people only need to come into, if people are only coming into their office, you know, a couple of days a month, far more people are working from home. That that would have boosted peripheral places, you know, because you know, for example, to take the Manchester example, you'd be far more likely to live in a town further out from the city centre if you weren't if you weren't commuting in every single day. But the government is very, you know, the government doesn't like remote working as a, as an idea. I think that you will see an attempt to do some quick wins on high street stuff. You know, I mean, like, I mean it's a cliche now but you know hanging baskets and all that kind of thing but i but i think i think that realistically and you know if you look at the if you look at the german example for example this is a long term project if you are serious about trying to do this you are not going to be able to turn up in 2024 and say look there's no north south divide anymore
2: just to build on James' point very quickly, I think on the on the transport one, quick win, which actually makes sense in the longer term is buses. I think we could do something quite radically and quite quick in that area, which would be Uh, across the the piece and you'd see some short and longer term. My other point would be, and I heard Ben Houchin talk about this, he does it very well. And if you think about the the Tees Valley, his area, the symbolic problem in that area was the steelworks and the derelict nature of it. And he identified very early on that he was going to do something about that. Now, transitioning from a former steelworks, which is derelict, to something else is going to take a long time. But by identifying the issue that matters and making progress on that in the short run, it says this is, how, you know, I've identified this problem and this is how we're going to change it. And yes, the real benefits, the jobs and, and the new firms are going to be a way down the line, but it signals very clearly to people in the area that you're taking seriously the things that they care about. So I think there is a, a way to bring the short and the long term together if you think about, you know, the sorts of priorities that, but they do vary in different places, which requires local leadership.
0: Andrew, James says that we've learned from Germany that this can take quite a long time. What's the German experience of regional inequality after, during the process of reunification, they've obviously had differences between the East and West. How have, how have they gone about it and have they been successful?
2: Yeah, so it, James is right. You know, this this takes a long time. So I think, you know, reunification from essentially 1990 onwards, so 30, 30 years and counting and over two trillion uh, euros spent during that time within Germany, um, you know, helping the east sort of get closer to the west, give you a sense of progress, probably around 89 and 90. East Germany was about 60 percent at a productivity level of the west. And since that period now, both places have, have increased. That's important to say. It goes back to this non zero sum. But the gap is essentially narrow. So the East is now, on average, about 85 percent of the West, although there are parts of the East, particularly some of its cities, Dresden, Leipzig and Berlin, to agree, that are closer to to West Germany than not. So 30 years, quite a lot of money, and you see some progress, still ways to go. But I, does, I, I do think that gives us a sense as to the, the magnitude, but also the possibility, you know, if we are if we are committed to this over the longer run through parliaments, not just within parliaments, I think we can, we can make a difference.
0: James, have there been political rewards in Germany for this? Uh, how has it changed the political landscape?
1: Well, I, mean, I think one of the things about the German experience is, yes, I think they have made progress, but I think it's also a reminder that you know, massive national ambition, you know, huge amounts of money put in. 30 years on, the assets of East German households are still less than half of those of, of West German households. And as you say, Max, you know, if you look at the political voting patterns in East Germany, if you look at the vote for the AfD, or if you look at the vote for the Linke, which is the, the you know the, the very left wing party in Germany, it is also quite clear that politically East Germany is not a happy place right now. And I think that I think in a way, one of the things that makes levelling up so difficult is lots of policies you can look for some other advanced economy and say, right, we are just basically going to copy their their playbook. That's what the Tories essentially attempted to do on on education reform. Lots of places attempted to copy on welfare reform, what happened in Wisconsin, for example. I think on on, on levelling up and reducing regional inequality, it is very hard to find a successful playbook to go after. And I think the fact that we are talking about... Germany is the closest I think we have to that, but... In Germany, you know, there is still a moment where the German political class, every time there is an election in the East German Länder, pretty much hold their breath to check that this is not going to be the time when you end up with extremists in in, in government, and I think this is this is a reminder that this is just not simple and no one has worked out what the kind of magic source of this is and and it, it's very easy to to laugh at the fact that Michael Grove is now citing 15th century Florence as the example but I think it does tell you that there is that there is a lack of another example you can't just t- you can't turn up and say right here we go let's look at what they've done in Spain that succeeded let's see how we can copy that I mean that that does make things more difficult and but, but you know but look the the UK problem is is obviously quite Profound. If the UK could just get to a kind of level of regional inequality that is the European average, the UK would be doing a lot better.
0: And James, you say that you mentioned that Michael Gover is citing fifteenth-century Florence. Can you tell us a bit about that?
1: So this is this idea of, of uh, the of the Medici effect, essentially that. It's essentially an argument for clusters. That clusters mean that you get breakthroughs in innovation in one area leads unintentionally to a breakthrough in another area, and that becomes kind of self reinforcing success. And the argument is that you know you get you get these clusters when you have high skills, you know, good housing, good infrastructure, you know, enjoyable social spaces. And I think, the, I think the thing that appeals to Michael Gove about this as, as, a, as an idea is you know, he's trying to do two things or the levelling up has always been trying to do two things. It's been trying to do an economic argument, but it's also been trying to do a kind of local pride argument, you know, that people want to feel that, that their neighbourhood is is looking good and looking better. And I think one of the big challenges actually that COVID poses is that I think that the proxy that lots of people use for their neighbourhood is their local high street. The high street was in trouble before COVID. But COVID, I think, has catalyzed the decline of high street retail. I think, you know, we've basically had, you know, in a year... Uh, you've had what would normally have taken a decade in terms of a shift to, to online shopping. And I think the high street is going to have to reinvent itself. I think politicians who think that you can maintain the high street as a kind of retail place really are kind of, you know, I know this is unfair on King Canoe because I know he's trying to demonstrate the limits of his power, but they really, they really are, in the unfair version of the story, kind of King Canoe trying to turn back the waves because I think that that isn't happening. The high street has got to become a very different kind of place.
0: Andrew, these clusters so it sounds something similar to the london oxford cambridge cluster the sort of tech clusters that we hear about. Do you think that 's a model that we can replicate elsewhere in the country?
2: Yes, I think we can you know and and this is James is right. this is the essentially the model that you look you know what 's driving you know, growth and uh, prosperity in, in different parts of the country, different parts of the world. It is the coming together of related activities. I think one of the misunderstandings of clusters is that they think that places have to have lots of one thing. But actually what James is saying, and he's absolutely right, is that where you see real growth, real prosperity, is having lots of different things that interrelate. You know, and that's the real magic of it is when one thing interacts with another thing and another thing and another thing. And suddenly you get, you know, real kind of prosperity emerging across a number of different industries that's pretty much the model that we see when we look at uh, dynamic economies in uh, north america or uh, in parts of europe as well or indeed in the in the far east it's really trying to think about how we engender a set of conditions and environments where you know lots of firms lots of workers can come together and really uh, uh, kind of borrow ideas, make new ideas, and then make, uh, you know, make money off the back of it, and create the jobs that we all need in in more parts of the country. So that's definitely the model that we should be, um, we should be uh, thinking about.
0: And James, how important is levelling up for the Conservative Party now? Dealing with COVID, if that's coming to a coming to an end, how important is it that they get this
1: right? Well, I think it is. One of the crucial things that will determine whether or not they have a majority after the next election. Uh, You know, if they cannot hold on, if those Red Bull seats just kind of revert back to type, if they basically say we voted Tory because we wanted to get Brexit done and we thought that Jeremy Corbyn didn't understand us and they just flip back to Labour, you know, we are into hung Parliament territory and the Tories are essentially uncoalitionable because you, you can't see who their potential partners are you know the Lib Dems aren't going to go in with them again Labour certainly aren't the SNP aren't and I think you know even after what happened in the last part last time round, I think it's even doubtful whether the DUP would so the Tories need to win outright and it's very hard to see how they win outright without the red wall seats and I think holding those red wall seats will at least require some sign that progress is coming. I don't think that means that those places need to have been leveled up in inverted commas, but I think they need to see that there is a kind of plan and that is beginning to happen. And I mean, that that is one of the really big challenges. I think one of the other bits of low-hanging fruit, I would say, is is more mayors, more devolution. If you look at the places in the UK that we are talking about, that are interesting and are exciting at the moment, one thing they nearly all have in common is having mayors. And I think that you know, I think if you could have more mayors, more city region mayors, particularly if you because if you, I mean, one of the arguments uh, not to, to not to down to this rabbit hole is people say, oh, you know, levelling up should be about towns, not cities. That forgets how many towns are essentially satellites of cities. If you can boost those cities outside of London, then you will basically you will have a hugely beneficial effect on lots of towns that are currently some of the most deprived.
0: Andrew, it seems like regional Tory politicians are a lot more popular than national Tory politicians. Why do you think that is? People like Ben Houchen for, or Andy Street, for example?
2: Well, I think in part it goes to what Jim started with, really. I mean, I think, you know, both Ben... And Andy are seen in their localities as, you know, really advocating on behalf of those places. And they are trying to tackle the problems and the issues that, whatever p- political persuasion you are, but you, if you're in those places. Those are the issues that you want, you know, you want dealt with and grapple with. So there's a kind of connection that they have to their to their place and their population. And then undoubtedly, you know, they've been successful. You know, Ben has been incredibly successful in, in tackling those issues, but also being a way to get into government to extract more uh, resources out of it. So in a sense, you know, the, he's bringing home you know, some of the resources that, uh, you know, the people in his patch uh, want him to do it. So I think there's a real connection, and I agree with James, that that is the way to go. I think there is a real appetite across the public when we poll them and others for more devolution, for strong leadership at the locality level that can really address the issues that people are concerned about, whether it's high streets or skills or, you know, terrible buses. And that the devolution is the mechanism by which a national government can actually address those issues because it won't be able to do them themselves.
0: Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, James. And thank you for listening.